Chapter Sixteen of The Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Blue Star, Chapter Sixteen, The Eastern Sea, Sistily. The queasiness had gone from Rodvard's stomach and the illness from his head, but all his senses were more alive than jets of flame. Every rut gave him agony in the jolting mule-cart. He could not draw away from pain long enough for anger or fear. Yet shortly the very keenness of his hurt anesthetized all down to no more than an aching tooth. And now the senses, over-sharpened by witchery, began to report the world around him. They were passing two people afoot, then another cart, to none of which the driver made salutation. They must be out of the village, for right overhead branches began to go past against a sky where horses' tails slid across tender blue. A bird lit on one of the branches and tipped its head to look down. It seemed to Rodvard, as he gazed into the single revealed eye, that he could, with his blue star, read the avian thought of food and sex, confused, and not unlike a human's. This might only be another effect of the witchery, but it set him thinking about his own confusion of mind and what the butler Toloan had said about star-bearers and their women. So he considered what species of joy or completeness was to be had from these skirted creatures, who for a spiritless complacence would exact a slave's devotion. Lalette he wondered whether her witchcraft would give her knowledge of his infidelity of thought with the Countess Ayella, and of deed with the maid Damaris, and if so, what penalty would be demanded of him? Ah, no, why should penalty be due? This was not marriage, he had taken no oath nor meant any. Give back the blue star, let us pronounce a bill of farewell and be damned to Matherin and his menaces or even to Remigorius and the cause for which all was done. The mule's feet clopped on a bridge, the clouds were thickening toward grey above, and birds chirping as they will when a storm is toward. No, no, friend Rodvard, he answered himself, be honourable as you hope to receive honour. Acquiescence she gave you, ay, beneath the trees, but you have forced her then. The night in the widow Domajaik's bed was no unwilling gift, but for both of them the end of life and its beginning. A new life with Lalette the witch, holding the sweetness of peril, not that of repose, something beyond any connection that might have been formed with Meritzel of Stojanrosik. Had she laid some witchery upon him to make it so, not being herself affected? Seek her out anywhere discover if that enchantment were forever. Could such things be? Witchery was something which, like death, he had no more than heard of from the world beyond his world. When he was a lad in the village among the spurs of the shining mountains, there was the fat old woman who had grown so dreadfully thin, all in a week, and people saying it was witchery on her. The priest came with his oils, but it was too late and she died the next day, and no one ever found the witch, if there were one. Oh, aye, there were prosecutions of witchery in town, 
and now the mule-driver's witch, Lalette, the blue star, and he himself, caught into something he did not understand and which made him afraid, and because he had done no more than cherish high ideals and obey orders. The pains were less, but all his muscles so immobile that they afforded no yielding to the throw of the cart, and thus piled bruise on bruise. A long ride, it must be after the meridian of the sun, though even heightened perception would not tell him if this were so, since he had lost all sense of direction in the intricacy of the turnings. The mule's feet and cart's tires struck paving-stones, the movement became uneven, voices were audible and they were entering a town, so that Rodvard began to hope of a rescue, and with that hope a fear of what would happen if there were no rescue. What did the man mean to do with him? He found no visible answer, for though it was evident that though the repulsive spouses were minded for murders, and himself not the first to fall into their clutches, it hardly seemed they would have fixed the mechanician's badge on his breast in mere anticipation of disposing of a body. Droll to think of oneself as a body, an idea he did not remember having held before ever. His mind achieved a wedding between this line of thought and the earlier one, or how it was when that urge toward the Countess Ayella had slipped out of merely playing a part into deep desire, it was the voice of body speaking to body. But it was not that way on the widow's bed. That night it was as though a flame sprang up, to which their bodies responded last of all. Ah, Maritzel, he thought, with you also there might have been such a union of flames, to last forever and ever, only I did not know, I did not care, before the blue star had bound me to this other. Now a certain brightening of the diffused light reflected into the cart told him they were passing houses with snow-white walls. By this, with the time and distance, they must be in Cedadvik city. Odors floated to him, salt water, fish, the spicy products of the south, not unpleasantly blended. The docks. Was the man going to make him a body by heaving him into the sea? To his futile angers was added that of not being able to see the old rascal's eye, now the blue star had recovered its virtue under the witch-wife's ministration, but there was a time for little more of thinking, for the cart drew up with a cry to the mule, the driver got down heavily, his feet sounding on stones and then on plank. He was gone briefly. Rodvard felt the covering taken from him, and with a grunt he was hoisted to a shoulder, stiff as a log. A whirling view of pallid dockside houses, the masts of a tall ship with her sails hanging in disorderly loops. He came down with a jar that shook every bone onto what appeared to be some structure projecting from the deck, where a red face surrounded by whisker looked into his own. One eye in the face was only a globule of spoiled milk. The cold blue star on Rodvar's heart told him the good eye held both cruelty and greed. Yeah, said Redface, the fish is cold. I tell you now, live as an eel. Fetch a mirror. Redface reached out a dirty nailed hand and pinched Rodvard's cheek hard. Mmm, a spot is worth of life. To save argument, I'll give you two. Hey, look at him, approved mechanician with a badge and all. 
I say to you, my old woman, she has done with him, so he'll work like a clock, pick, pick, never mind time nor nothing. A gold Scudarius, you should give me two. They chaffered horribly over his body, while Rodvard lay moveless as a statue, thinking of how he was one, alas, not cradled in light and speed like the winged man to whom he had compared Count Cludy when Cludy marked the resemblance between them, not upborne by spirit like the figure of the archer-hero, but a stiff corpse, subject of a sail, a carcass, a beef. He heard the chink of money passing. The one-eyed man gave an order that Rodvard was to be taken below, and someone carried him awkwardly with many bumpings down a ladder to a tight room smelling of dirty humans. He was tossed high onto a kind of shelf and left alone for a long time, thinking all the while of what the mule-driver had said about his being witched to work like a clock, and wondering whether it were true. After a while a doze came upon him, for which there was no emergence till the round hole in the ship's wall had ceased to give light. The place filled suddenly then with feet and words, many of the latter with a Germanish accent, or in that language itself. One of these persons pointed to him and there was a laugh. Rodvard tried to turn his head, and to his surprise it would move a tiny arc, though by an effort that redoubled the agony throughout the bruised mass of his body. Yet the stirring was a joy as great as any he had ever experienced, and he lay repeating it as the assemblage below, garrulous as all Germanish, came and went with pannikins from which floated an appetizing perfume of stew. Rodvard found other movements beside his head, and lay repeating them through the twinge of pain. A whistle blew, some of the men went out and up, while the others undressed noisily put out the light, and composed themselves for sleep on shelves like that which bore the young man. For him there was little sleep, and as life flowed along anky loosed muscles, he was invaded by a sense of irrevocable disgrace, so poignant that it drowned fear. Damaris the maid. He had sold his soul for a copper there. Not that he felt to the girl any profound debt as to Lalette, or that such a debt were just, but whether from the priest's teaching at the academy or the words of Remigorius, he had somehow grown into a pattern of life, which, being violated, one was cast down into a sea of life by merest impulse. Ah, no! Should it not be rather that each event must be judged by itself? And no again! For by what standard shall one judge? Impulse or an absolute, there is no third choice. So thinking, so seeking to find a clue to conduct, or to justify his own merely, Rodvard told himself in a moment of bitterness, he lay on his comfortless couch, aware that the ship had begun to move with uneasy tremors. And presently dawn began to flower. At the room's entrance a lantern showed a bearded face, into which a whistle was thrust to blow piercingly. All the men leaped from their shelves with a gabble like a common growl and began dressing in the greatest taste. The bearded man shoved through them and shook Rodvard so rudely that he was jerked from his shelf, coming down thump on the deck with feet that would not hold him. "'Rouse out!' said the bearded man, catching him a clout across the headbone. "'You lazy scum of shore mechanicians must learn to leap when the mate sounds!' Rodvard staggered amid coarse laughter 
but having no means of protest, followed the Germanish, who were scrambling rapidly up the ladder. They were in the open sea. The breeze was light, the day clear and the air fine, but even so, the slight motion gave him a frightful qualm. His first steps were across the deck to the rail, where he wrenched up all that lay on his stomach, which was very little. "'You! What's your name?' said the bearded mate. "'Rodvard Bergelin.' "'I call you Pukeface. Go forward to the mainmast, Pukeface, eat your breakfast if you can, and then repair the iron fitting that holds the drop-gear repentant. The carpenter's cabinet under the break of the prow-house will give you tools.' I... I cannot use tools. I am a clerk, not a mechanician. Death and dragons! Come aft with me, you cunnilingus bastard! The mate's hand missed Rodvard's neck, but caught a clutch of jacket at the shoulder, and dragged him along the deck to where a flight of steps went up, and the one-eyed captain stood, an ocular under his arm. Captain Betzensteg, this lump of excrement says he knows nothing of mechanic! Sick though he was, Rodvard felt the blue star burn cold, and looked up into an eye, brimming with something more than mere fury, something strange from which his mind turned. "'Diddled by the service,' said the voice between heavy lips. "'When next? Ah, throw your can of piss up here!' Rodvard was jerked against the steps, striking his chin, and stumbled up by using his hands. The one-eyed captain reached out and ripped the badge from his breast, tearing the cloth. "'Go below, Stinkpot,' said he, "'and tell my boy he's promoted to seaman. You shall serve my table.' "'Yes, sir,' said Rodvard, and looked around for his route, since all the architecture of a ship was stranger to him than that of a cathedral. "'Go!' said the captain, and lifted an arm as though to strike him with the ocular, but changed his mind. What held you from telling your status?" "'Nothing,' said Rodvard, and gripped the rail of the stairhead, for his gorge began rising within. "'If you puke on my deck, you shall lick it up!' The captain turned his back and shouted, "'Lift the topper peak ropes!' Down the stairs again there were not so many ways to choose from, so he took to the door to the right, hoping under his mind that this would be an omen along a passage and into a room, where a sullen-faced lad of maybe eighteen was folding a cloth from a table. "'You are Captain Betzensteg's boy?' asked Rodvard, trying to keep from looking through the window, where the sea-edge rocked slowly up and down. "'I am to say you are promoted to seaman.' The lad's mouth popped open, as though driven by a spring. He dropped the napery and ran around the table to seize Rodvard by both arms. "'Truly? If you trick me!" For one instant, pale eyes flashed fury, and the small down-before-first shaving trembled. But he must have seen honesty before him. "'Born for the sea and freedom,' his thought read, and quickly thrust past to make for the door. "'Stay,' said Rodvard, holding him by the jacket. "'Will you not show me?' The spasm caught him, and he retched, mouth full of sour spittle. The lad turned laughing, but without malice, and clapped him on the back. "'Heave hardy,' he said. "'It will come better when you come to learn the freeway of the ocean. Grow to love it and care nothing for landlouts. Here are the linens.' 
he opened the midmost of a set of drawers built into the wall. The old man takes no napkins, save when there are guests aboard. A real dog of the brine, with fish blood in his veins, that one. I am called Kratz. What's your name? Rodvard's telling, he hardly seemed to notice, but continued his flood of instructions. In these racks are the silvers. He uses only the best, and be careful at dinner to set his silver bear on the table. It was given him by the syndics at the time of the Trichelacan War for his seamanlike skill. The bedbuck you must carefully fold in at the base, but he likes the top loose, so. Wine always with early meals, it is here. If the weather's fair, he sometimes takes fired wine in the evening. If he orders it so... The lad Kratz halted, looked sidewise out of his eyes, and leaned close. Hark, Berglin, I am not what you would call jealous. Have you ever—that is, when he has fired wine, he may desire to treat you as his lover. I—' Rodvard recoiled and wretched again. Ah, do not be so dainty. It is something that every true seaman must learn, and keeps us from being like the landlouts. You do not know how it can be, and he gives you silver spot as after. But if you will not, listen, all the better. When the old man calls for his fired wine, set the bottle on the table, take away the silver bear, and call me." Said Rodvard, no little astonished, that the emotion of which the blue star spoke was indeed jealousy. No, I'll have none of it, ever. A smile of delight so pure that Rodvard wondered how he had thought the lad's look sullen. The cook will give you breakfast. I must go. To be a seaman!" Captain Betzensteg ate by himself. Rodvard was glad that he remembered the silver bear, but when he tried to hold forward the platter of meat as he remembered seeing Matherin do it for Clutie, he got things wrong, of course, and the one-eyed man growled, "'Not there, you fool! The other side!' The meat itself was something with much grease pork, probably, which it sickened Rodvard even to look at, as the captain chewed liquidly, pointing with his fork to a corner of the cabin, and declaring that he would barber someone of his ears unless it were kept cleaner. That night there was no call for fired wine. Rodvard felt a surge of gratitude for preservation, as he cleared up after the meal, and made his way forward to the crew-quarters in what he now had learned to be the peak-jowl. Sickness sent him to his shelf at once, for the movement of the ship was becoming more vivid as twilight fell, but sleep had not reached him when there was a change of duty, as in the morning, and of those who came tumbling down the ladder, Kratz was one. He was much less the lord of the earth than earlier. No sooner was the lad in place than all of the Germanish were after him unmercifully, with hoots and ribald remarks, pinching his cheeks and his behind, till at the last the lad, crying, let me alone!" flung his arms out so wildly that he caught one of the sailors a clip on the nose and sent him staggering. The fellow snarled like a tiger, all his rough humor dissolved in black bile, and recovering, whipped out a tongue of steel. But Rodvard, without knowing how or why he did so, rolled from his shelf onto the shoulder an arm that held the knife bearing the man to the floor. The Germanish fought upward. Rodvard took two or three nasty blows on the side of the head, as he clung with both his hands to the dagger, 
and knew with more interest than fear that he must lose in the end to the overbearing strength of the man. But just as he was giving way, a pair of hands beneath the armpits wrenched him clear and flung him against the shelves, while a big foot kicked the knife. "'What's here?' demanded the voice of the bearded mate. "'Puke-face, you'll have a dozen lashes for this, damn if you don't! You to attack a full-grade seaman!' said Rodvard, feeling of his head. He would have knifed Sir Crotz. "'Sir!' the mate barked derision, and his head darted round like a snake's. "'Is this veritable?' All the Germanish began cawing together. The mate appeared to comprehend their babble, for after a minute or two of it he held up his hand with, "'Shut up! I see it! This is the sentence. Vechico, three days' pay stop for knifing. As for you, puke-face, your punishment's remitted, but in the future you'll sleep in the lazarette to teach you the true status aboard this basket." He turned to the latter, and not a word from the Germanish for once, but as they glowered among themselves, young Kratz came to throw his arms around Rodvard. "'I owe you a life,' he said, at the edge of tears. Said Rodvard. "'But I will pay for it. Ah, no, I will surely buy you free.' I did not know there was status aboard a sea-ship. You said the life on one was free as a bird. Why, so it is indeed, but not for lack of status, which is the natural order of things. Are you an Amorosian? It nearly skipped off Rodvard's lips that he was rather of the sons of the new day, but Crotz's words showed how little he would find such a confession acceptable, and he did not trust the Germanish and by another morning the ship's motion told on him somewhat less heavily. End of chapter 16